everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Proper Class Podcast. I'm Laura Checkley. And I'm Hannah Chiswick. And we are, of course, here to celebrate all things working class, because if we don't, who the bloody hell will? As always, we sit down with a working class hero to celebrate their life and achievements and discuss just how they got to where they are today. So without further ado, who are we celebrating this week, Laura? Let me tell you, I've been a huge fan and it's going to be a bloody giggle this week. I can just feel it in my waters. And that's not because I've currently got a plumber in fixing my lav. Have you actually? Yeah, I have actually. (laughs) Did you block it again? Oh, how rude. Yeah, I did actually. No jokes. Um, No, basically, I had my uh, parents over at the weekend and the toilet as basically this is really boring for the listener but you've asked so I'm going to give it to you uh, the toilet's just been running constantly for about a year and so my stepdad said oh I'll, I'll have a look at that and he's usually really good with stuff like that and he basically just broke it and it's now royally buggered and just full of my bum biscuits so there we go <laughs> Do you know what? I don't think I've ever regretted asking a question so much in my entire life. Remind me to tell you. Should we just get on with introducing this week's guest? Thank you. Yeah, but I quite like bum biscuits. I'm going to use that one again. No. No. (laughs) Okay, this week's multi-talented guest is a presenter, writer, actor and comedian. You may have spied them on the telly box in shows such as Would I Lie to You, Between the Covers, Strictly It Takes Two, Roast Battles, Love Island After Sun, Richmond Osmond's House of Cards, Celebrity Mastermind and is a regular face on Celebability. Actually, Han, on that, what would be your specialist subject on Mastermind? Oh, my God. What would be my specialist? Uh... Mine would be Spice Girls. Oh, Spice Girls is good. Yeah. I think mine might one. be mine might be sweets. <laughs> what like 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 Haribo kind of sweets? Yeah, sweets, different types of sweets and what they used to be called. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. I think Spice Girls is better. Yeah, I would choose Spice Girls. This week's guest has been killing it on the comedy circuit for years now, supporting all the biggest names in comedy, including Catherine Ryan, Jason Manford, John Bishop, and that's just to name a few. In 2019, after performing live at the Comedy Store on Comedy Central, this week's guest was commissioned to record their own 30-minute comedy special. Over lockdown, this week's guests kept the nation laughing by creating, writing and starring in their very own mini-series, Comedians in Quarantine. And they even found the energy to create their own true crime podcast with their lawyer boyfriend called Order in the Bedroom. Ooh, ah. <laughs> this week's guest is, is such a nan. This week's guest is no stranger to presenting too on TV shows such as Celebs on the Ranch, Date or Drop and Tap. Oh, no, I can't say it. Say it for me, Law. Takeshi's Castle. Well done. <laughs> Most recently, though, never say it. Most recently, though, they recorded for the BBC's new stand-up show, Live from Barry Island, and their debut BBC Radio 4 stand-up special. But of all his achievements, I'm sure he'd say the proudest one of all has to be being named one of Attitude's top 100 bachelors. Folks, please give a very warm, proper class podcast welcome to our black belt in taekwondo, don't you know? It's the hilarious Ooh. and multi-talented Stephen Bailey. Ladies, Yay. I sound so much better than I actually am. <laughs> Just from that intro, I'm going to ring that... you every morning and that's how I want to start my day. Are you I... sure that took us ages? <laughs> I mean, it did take you ages. No, but honestly, you had to leave out so much because, I mean, you're non-stop. Do you ever stop? No, because I'm scared of being poor again. Right. Yeah, right. I'm not even joking. That is... I my boyfriend's always like, do you maybe want to spend time together? And I was like, pack a case. You're coming to Coventry. Like, <laughs> I always get the fear because of how 
you know, we grew up poor. Then when you start doing stand-up, you're poor. And even when I started doing stand-up, I had a full-time job. And I was still bloody poor. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Honestly, we always say that our guests have been, like, so eclectic, like, from sports people, comedians, writers, you know, across the board, very different lives. But the one thing that everyone talks about is that massive fear of just losing financial security, of just... Yeah. That terror, like I think, if you've ever not had money, like and really not had it, not in a middle class way where you can't go skiing, like in a proper oh life. My. <laughs> I always say this. I have friends that are like, "Oh my god, I'm skint this month," but they've they've still got thirty grand in their savings account, and yeah, like, they've had to dip into their savings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. When I'm skint, it's like minus five. Yeah, can't get on the bus, babe. Yeah, yeah, can't get on the bus. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, what is a saving and how do I get one of those? That's like my life ambition to have savings. Oh, to have a savings account. Hello. I just can't I'd love that. even. I always found it as well, like when I first moved to London, like people really, I don't think people understand what working class is anymore. I think there's working class and I think there's regional and I think people confuse, like I think because I'm Northern, People think that all Northerners are poor. And then it's like, no, no, there's a little place called Cheshire. They have money there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember when I moved to London to start comedy and there was all these comedians that didn't have jobs and I was running from a 12-hour shift and everyone was like, what do you do in the day? And they're just like, fannying around. And then it turns out their parents pay their rent, but they've got like, you know, they've got yeah. a regional accent. So they're like, I'm working class, babes. And it's like, you're not working class. You're from Because you're not working. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, I remember like, because I used to do sketch comedy, I remember running with my mate. We'd been teaching kids all day. Ugh, no, I can't remember what we were teaching. But I had, I had quite, I was, we were quite proppy with our, with our sketches. So we had an, we had an easel, we had our bag of wigs oh, and God. we're running down this hill in fucking, I don't know, in Surrey somewhere, trying to get this train on time to get to a gig on time. And I remember we got on the train, we're like, you know, and you can taste blood and, and my, Comedy part looked at me and went, when are we ever going to stop running in life? Oh, my God. And it's always stuck with never. me that. Yeah, no, that is never. so depressing. Because I'm, I'm always like, it never gets easier. I honestly thought that, like, when I first got my TV show, I thought, this is it. I'm off. Yeah. I'm off. Life sorted. And then <laughs> it's like you've never done anything. After every show, boom, never yeah, done anything. Yeah, um, yeah. Three rungs up, four down, isn't it? Yeah, because it's all about, like, who you know, who you're hanging out with, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know anyone, and I don't have time to hang out with anyone. I'm always in the <laughs> goddamn Toyota going somewhere. <laughs> so, Steve, we start each week asking our guest to take us back to uh, somewhere that uh, reminds them of their working class roots. So if you could take us anywhere today, where would that be? Do you know, I was thinking so many, I have so many different answers for this. Yeah. Like, because obviously there's always mum and dad's house because that's like as working class. Do you remember, I don't know if you guys did this, we had a thing called Kirby. Do you know this? It was like just... It was, throwing the ball at the curb. Throwing the ball at the curb. And yeah, it's like, yeah. that is poor people's shit. Yeah, like, I fucking loved curbs. Yeah. It was called, we called it curbs. Yeah. Curbs. Did you do it, Han? We had a different one, which was that you put a tennis ball, basically, in the bottom of an old tight, and then you would do this thing with it. <laughs> oh, my We did that with tangerines. You know what I mean? What the fuck? What's the point of that game? You just sit in your back, and you? No, no, it was like... But we did it, so you, like, you put it in, so you tied the tights around your waist, and then you had oh. a tangerine, so it looked like you had, like, a droopy dick, and then you'd <laughs> swing that tangerine yes. into another tangerine. It was like poor people croquet. 
Oh, okay. I was going to say a bit like Conkers, yeah. but yeah. Now let's go with let's poor, go with people, poor people croquet. croquet. And then I can't wait to listen to that bat because that's going to be really good material. Keep it in. <laughs> and then, well, the other thing is, um, so there, I always think about there, um, like going to Beavers. I always think that's yeah. quite working class. But for me, the one I've settled on is um, my local pub, the Windmill, because I remember when. Um, like we were 18 and we were all still poor. So mm. we just went there and we'd go there like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I thought, this is going to be my life forever. And if it is, I'm all right with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why there? What was the... It was, was like it... £6 for a bottle of Blossom Hill and three ninety nine for a Carvery. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah, whole round of cost a tenner. Don't yeah. get that in London. Can't even get a Voddy Diet Coke in London for a bloody tenner anymore. And so is the windmill still going? Is it still about? Still there, yeah. Do you know what it was? Was It was that place where it was like, you'd have to just go there for the night. And it's, you know, I'm from a little estate in Manchester. So everyone went there. So it was like everyone you went to school with. Right. and Yeah, yeah. It was the safest place on the planet. Yeah. Um, and then... As we got a bit older and our student loans kicked in, sure, we um we'd go there first. So it's where you'd start the night out. Oh my god, I love and it! And then it's where you'd go for your hangover on a Sunday. Yeah, does it does it just really sort of encapsulate that time in your life where yeah. you felt really connected to your roots and your all of that? You know, do you know what I would honestly say? It's the happiest time of my life, which I know sounds well, it doesn't sound ridiculous. It was just like everyone we grew up with, you know, I had a part-time job at a supermarket. I worked there for six years, like through college, uni, yeah. and then I did yeah. a full-time year after I finished. And um, all the friends I made there. And because everyone lived on that estate, and it really was like the heart of it. So I think sometimes, you know, when you watch like EastEnders and Coronation Street, I think a lot of people maybe from a middle-class background think, People aren't always going to the Rovers. And it's like, yeah, no, well, they yeah. do. Because where, where else? Yeah. We're not getting taxis places all the time. We don't have the money. And obviously it's like, sometimes we did. But that place you could always go. There was always people that had your back. Like I say, it felt safe. You knew there was yeah. never going to be any trouble. It was just nice. I always say to my friends, I wish we could go back to that time. And actually, um, so me and my friends when we were at uni... Um, and my friends I've had forever. They're the same friends I've had from school to when I worked That's at good. Sainsbury's. That's nice. And they still are. So when we were at uni, there was a band called The Feeling. I don't sure, know. Sure, I remember them. Great. Of course, I love of it. course. I love it. Clearance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and it's so funny because I almost could be like full suit. So I used to fancy Dan. I mean, say used to, still do. Yeah, do. Um, <laughs> Fancy Dan from The Feeling. And we'd look back. When their song came on, that was us heading to the dance floor. Um, they had a song called Rosé. We'd listen to it getting ready in the bedroom with a bottle Drinking of Blossom Rose, Hill Rosé. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, they're touring again. And I met Dan oh. at an awards do. So I ran up to him and was like, hi, minor celebrity myself nowadays. Loved you at uni my girls are going to need a message. So I got him doing a message for each of them. Now say Amazing. Sarah. Now say Natalie. Now say this. <laughs> and he did it such good sport. And um, so we're going to go and see him at the Ritz in Manchester in a couple of weeks with the oh, feeling. Amazing. And we're going to go to the windmill and have a bottle of rosé. So we're going to relive oh, it. I love yeah. That. Oh, I love that.
So take us back. Tell us about um, school, Stephen. So how was that? Where did you go? How was school for you? Well, I have to put allegedly around this story because it is one of the... um, it's one of those like, oh, what's it called? Like the folk tales of the sure. area. And um, But our school got set on fire so many times. They ended up just knocking down two of the local schools and rebuilding one. <laughs> so that kind of summarises where I'm from. Um, yeah, school was fine. And I always say about this is like, I didn't experience homophobia until I left Manchester, which is bonkers. So I thought homophobia was in the history books till I was 24. I thought it was like Stonewall, the AIDS crisis. I didn't realise it because I was so protected by that community. Don't get me wrong. Like sometimes they didn't use language correctly. Like they'd be like, that's well gay or that. But I think that was more as a sign of the time, actually. Mm -hmm. I don't think that was... um, But never at you or about you or like... No, and I was always very accepted as me. Like, I always say, I always think there is a show or a Radio 4 show or something like that in the fact that I've never come out. Right. Because yeah. I've never had to. No one's ever, like... So you didn't discuss it with your parents? It just was sort of organically, like... Yeah, it was I just... a boyfriend all, home. Exactly that. Exactly right. that. I got mm. my first boyfriend and I just brought him home and that was that. And yeah. you weren't nervous about it. There was never occurred to you, like, oh, what if I... Well, everyone just always accepted me as me, that it never yeah, right. occurred to me. Even when I... So I did have a girlfriend for about four weeks in high school. And, um, you know, we had a snog. And I was more like, I'm surprised I'm getting away with this. <laughs> like, I was more nervous about being like, I've got a girlfriend. Because I thought, who the fuck am I trying to kid? Even she knew. And the minute I knew she knew was when she bought me the duvet set of the TV show Charmed. (laughs) You ain't getting that for a straight boy. (laughs) She sounds like a keeper. Wow. (laughs) It's funny, isn't it? Because I think there's always an assumption growing up working class that um, we would be more ignorant uh, and that our folks would be really homophobic. And I think there is a, a, a false kind of narrative that we, um, the working class, are just super ignorant and, and that, that it would be a really hard thing to... I'm not saying it's the case for everyone, but that it would be really difficult to grow up queer in a working class environment. And actually, the same as any environment, back when... I mean, obviously, when I was gay it was, and I was coming out, and that, that was 20-odd years ago and I was coming out... Um, it, it it was more to do with just actually life back then and how it was and not seeing anyone that was gay. That, but even if you grew up in a middle-class environment um, being gay back when I was coming out, it would have been the same. There weren't any gay people on telly, not really. Certainly weren't any lesbians anyway, that was yeah. for sure. But I do think there's a perception, don't you, with working-class people, oh, everyone's a, everyone likes football, with hooligans, and, oh, you probably all voted out. And, you know, I do... Th- do you, do you think that or am I being... A, yeah, I think that does No, happen. I do think that because it's the one thing that I always try and fight for and champion is being like, you know, my mum and dad, they say it themselves, they've got one O-level between them. And I was like, well, technically you're uneducated because O-levels don't exist. Um, <laughs> I know, my mum always yeah. goes on about O-levels. <laughs> but I think they've got more heart. And I think that's the thing with work-class people is like, They've got heart. Like, we grew up really poor. And I always say, you know, the thing is, though, is I didn't realise it until later. I mean, I say later in life, like I'm nearly dead, like in my 30s, that it was, um, you know, actually, I think we were rich all along because you couldn't buy the love that we had 
the laughter that we had. I really think it's how I've ended up being a comedian is because we really laughed a lot mm. in the house, even when it was like, we all get the vibe, this isn't great right now. Like There was a lot of laughter. And I yeah. think it is the thing that teaches you, which is good for the industry I'm in, tenacity and resilience. And there's always going to be someone that thinks you're thick. And there's always going to be, yeah. but no one ever made me feel bad about my sexuality until I moved to London, which I find That's fascinating. So yeah, What's so that? interesting. Like, because in London, you go, there are just natural homophobes in the street, like holding hands yeah. with your partner. Then you have the thing of going like, there's ingrained homophobia, which people don't like to talk about, but it is true. Um, mm. Which is like when sometimes I've not been booked for a gig and the, the actual response has been because we have Tom Allen booked. Wow. So that says you're not booking me because you booked another gay man. Yeah. And that also says you think we're all the same. Yeah. <sighs> isn't it do you think similarly to like not realizing there was homophobia did you realize you were poor yeah I did know that but only because it's like but I think it was good like I wouldn't change my life because to change my life I'd have to change my family and I wouldn't change that for the world Mm. I know this is a bit dark but I'm always like I hope I die first because I can't bear that um (laughs) but so I didn't know I was poor but I think it was the thing that you know I know a lot of lazy people and it's like, and people go, like, especially in my industry, people are always like, you're everywhere, you're doing this, you're on that gig, you're on that gig. And it's like, yeah, because I've got a rocket up my ass because I always have to have one. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like, they did. So I, I'm not where I am. I've not done any of the shows by accident. Like, if my agent rings and he's like, oh, this person's not sure about you. And I'm like, well, who's their boss? Because everyone's always got a boss. Who's this? Who's that? Da, da, da. Like, you've got to fight your way to the top because social yeah. mobility is not things people the people in charge want us to have so we no. have to change that ourselves yeah, yeah. and I, and I've had it before where it's like I've not got jobs because of um you're not friends with a certain oh. person and sure. it's like but they're friends from Cambridge or they're friends from another posh university Durham they're all yeah. all these white boys on um Dave they're all from Durham yeah. university <laughs> and so it's like of course I'm not friends with them I'm they're all straight, so they have no interest in hearing who I've be- been blowing at the weekend. And, <laughs> you know, they're all, they all went to uni together and have that bond. And it's like, and I'm going home to hang out with the girls that I worked at Sainsbury's with. And so then it's like, so you're not, I'm not getting booked or not booked due to talent. But yeah. what I will say is growing up poor, it made me a dreamer. Yeah. And it made me watch the Hilary Duff films and the Lindsay Lohan films and yeah. Disney and be like, you know, when you wish upon a star, it. dreams yeah. can come true. Yeah. Oh, God, I get that dreaming thing. I think any kid with a dream anyway, but it always felt like it was a dream that might not happen. I really wanted it to. Like, I really wanted it to. But I remember that. I remember I used to do interviews of myself in the mirror as well. Like, yeah. I used to do a radio show with my cousin and it was like Radio Rue 92. And I was like, I have no idea why we <laughs> called it that at all. We had a theme to like Radio Rue. Who ninety two? Yeah, you yeah. get it. And I was like, I have no idea where that came from, but I was always on a version of Parky. You see, yeah. <laughs> I tell you though, I never yeah. knew. I didn't think it wouldn't happen until again, similarly with the sexuality thing, 
I didn't know classism was an issue until I left bloody Manchester. Yeah, that was going to be my next question to you. Is that when you really became aware of your class getting to London? Yeah, because like I said, it was like, you know, I remember there was a point, like I'd only done about three gigs at the time and everyone was talking about like the hardest working comedians. And I was thinking, but I could do four gigs in a night if I didn't have a day job. Yeah, right. Or if my parents were paying my rent or if this or that. And I think I took it really, but I had an episode of depression a few years ago. And I think it was because of the buildup of all these things about sexuality. You know, I'd experienced homophobia, like people shouting at me and my boyfriend in the street. And I'd never had it before. Then the classism and Mm. the struggle there and being like, oh, I'm not, just on my time, just if I can afford to go and do something like the mm-hmm. Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah. And because I never, I think it just whacked me and pushed me into this depressive state because I'd never known of it. And I was like, oh, I thought we like London was almost like our version of the American dream. Yeah, yeah. Like you said at the start, you know, you read out all the credits that I've done and all the people I've supported and the stand-up I do and the shows I sell out. And I could not get on a topical comedy show for love nor money. And the reason that kept getting feedback was going, but you're not topical, you don't do this. And you're going, but neither's X, Y and Z. I don't want to name people because it's not their fault, but it's like neither these middle class counterparts, but Mm. they're given a shot to at least prove whether they can do it or not. You're not giving me the shot. And actually, I've got a different take on it because of where I'm from. I've got different opinions on it. And I've also got a different take on it because of my preferences like you know I love everything pop culture real housewives Kardashians so I said so I can come at it from a really different angle and compare it to different things that they're comparing it to and speak to the everyman perhaps as well well they don't want to speak to the everyman I think that's the issue but I really but I had to sit down and have that argument because also it's like agents can't have that argument because they don't get it so you'll start having this extra workload to make that... God, it's, I think it's that's the thing, though, because there's things you're supposed to be when you're working class, isn't it? And funnily enough, funny is one of them. You are allowed to be funny if you're working class, mm. but in a very palatable, particular kind of way. If you even... Because you're not supposed to like the Kardashians and have an opinion on the government. You're not supposed to be able to go like, oh, I absolutely love Love Island, but I also love think Hamlet's an amazing play. I it, think this is the media's fault, though, because everyone... People need to go you're this one and you we can only be one thing those of us that have lived a life know that's not true of course um and that but the the media can't handle it the media can't handle people with depth and nuance and being like well i can be i can love the kardashians but i've also lived through the same global crises that everyone (laughs) else has lived through and i've got some thoughts on matt hancock right now do you know (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, it's why we never have any sort of regional accents reading the news because no. else we'd get used to it and then suddenly everyone would have a place, wouldn't they, probably? And it's like, I'm lactose intolerant, but I still have some milk in for visitors. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> So listen, take us back. So you're at school, it's all going well. You shouldn't uh, start me off about class, by the way. Oh, I oh don't. No, listen, you're in good company, babe. Oh, you're in good company. Oh, my God, I'll be here all bloody night. I know, let's do it. Um, were people saying to you at school, oh, you're funny, you're really fucking funny? No, I was really shy at school. Really? Yeah, I am shy, actually. Like, not even at school, I am shy. Obviously, I can get on stage now and I've learned to handle it. But no, I was really shy. And so when did that change? You went to uni. What were you studying at uni? French. 
Oh, were you? Wow. Yeah. And do you, st- do you still keep that up? Can you speak French? No, I kind of lost it because I graduated in 2009, then did a year working at Sainsbury's and then moved to London. Because even that, I was like, I couldn't move to London till I had a deposit for a yes. flat. So I had to yeah. work for a year to get that deposit because no one was able to give it me. Anyway, I don't mind doing that. I have a good work ethic. But um, <laughs> I did it and then I kind of lost it. But now we, we try and go to France once a year. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. So what was the turning point then? I think it was like the year I was going to graduate. I was like, everyone else wanted to be like, was going to be like, I'm going to be a French teacher. Maybe they're going to be a translator. So other people were going on to some sort of master's or PGC mm. further education. And that wasn't what I want to do. And I've always been drawn to Razzle Dazzle. I used to love Holly Willoughby when she was doing the extra factor. And I was like, <laughs> I want to be Holly Willoughby. That is literally how it started. I want to be Holly Willoughby. And it really irks me because I've met a lot of celebrity and I've not met goddamn Holly Willoughby. Well, we need to sort that out, Well, yeah, we do. Maybe I need to find a cue. And... um... (laughs) You won't find her in it. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I'll just go with... Holly, can I come with you? Can't be asked. I need a wee. Um, But... Um, I really love Holly. So I researched people like Holly, Dermot O'Leary, and people were either started as runners in TV, Mm. receptionists in TV, or models. And I was like, well, I can't do that one, but (laughs) I I could do the other ones. And then I was like, well, how do I do this? So I was just Googling, like, TV producers. And also, the internet wasn't what it is now, so it wasn't as simple as that. I was really like... Taking some time. I mean, in a library somewhere, yeah. (laughs) Gone for a bottle of rosé, come back. Um, (laughs) And I found out there was this guy who had gone to Manchester Metropolitan University where I had been, and he was now the head of Channel 5. And he was doing a speech at Manchester Metropolitan University. So I found out his name, and I emailed him with tenacity. I just wrote... His first name, Dot, his surname, at channel5.co.uk, and hope it worked. And it did. <laughs> and then I did that for it. everyone. I was like, well, who's the head of Sky? Who's, could you imagine emailing the head of BBC One now? They would be fucking, 
your agent would get a phone call being like, can Stephen... Babes, yeah, yeah, I can do that for you. Okay, let's not do that. And um, so I emailed them and I said to him, I said, I've just watched your speech today. I am from a council state in Manchester today. I've always loved TV. I want to get into it. I've just finished my degree in French today. I don't even know where to begin. And he wrote me back. And that's yeah. the, that was the first step. If he hadn't written back, I might still be at Sainsbury's or doing something else. Because he yeah. wrote back. Then his PA rang me when I was at my intern. She was like, oh, can you come to London? And I was like, those train prices? Absolutely not. But they liked mm. that I was a bit sassy. So they paid for me to come. Oh. Um, and then we had a chat. And I was like, you know, I really want to be a presenter. Da, 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 da. And he was like, well, what shows do you like on Channel 5? Well, I was like, at that time, I, I did not watch Channel 5. No I was one young, did, no. So I was like, I just pulled out of the hat. I went, oh, I love the right stuff. And I started waffling on about Matthew Wright. <laughs> so I go away and he was like, okay, let, let's figure this out. Da, da, da. I think you're great. I think you just need a chance to do it. It was like meeting Simon Cal. Then I went back to Manchester, didn't think anything of it, da, da, da get a phone call for an interview as a runner on The Right Stuff. So oh went and did that. Then they came back and they, they get around me and went, listen, everyone here loved you. Uh, we'd like to offer you a six-week contract. And I said, I'm not moving to London for a six-week contract. No. We'll give you a year contract. All right. Oh, see wow. Good for you. When can you start? Monday. Oh, uh, all right. <laughs> and that was it. Wow. So that was, that was how I got to London at this point no interest in comedy because a lot of running jobs usually i mean back in the day you'd have to do it for free spoken to many a producer about this where you know often runners become producers don't they so they always say be nice to your runners they'll be a producer one day um can probably see michelle nodding now and but i I know that like back in the day if you were working class and sort of wanted to get into telly in any way certainly that side of things you have to work for free as a runner and like that's it's sort of like who's who can do that well i think that's why there's not a lot of working class people in it because that's not yeah, that's exactly. just not possible yeah or they get a really low salary and you think well no one can survive survive on that that's what happened to me i really struggled for the first so did you year. have to have another job alongside that running job then or did you no i just was very 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 stringent and um then after about six seven months I knew I was well liked. The talent liked me. The producers liked me. So I cried and I got a promotion. <laughs> and what, did, what were you promoted to? Um, production secretary of Channel 5's The Right Stuff. Oh, amazing. Oh, my God. Wow. And so, and so, so comedy still wasn't even a, in, on your, in, your psyche, in your psyche at this no. point. It was just like, no. So how no. Does, in my, what happened? Where, where does the comedy come from? What was the... I really got into it. And so I moved to London, really got into running. And have you guys ever done running or anything like that? I haven't. No, no. only for the bus, babe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's really long hours. Like, yeah. So there was not time to do anything around it. And, you know, and obviously I'd just moved to London. So I wanted to socialise and make friends and do things like that. So I just, don't work in production if you want to socialise. Yeah, I mean, so buggers. I did it, but I did it for a year. And obviously, when I first moved, it was 2010. So I was like 22, I think. So I had the energy. It's like I could absolutely go out till one and be at the right stuff for <laughs> half six. Like I could. Oh my God. I couldn't that do it now. That makes me feel sick now. Yeah. And um, oh so I, like I say, I had this first year where I was just working. And then 
this so in the same building was do you remember that show T4? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's where Vernon Kay and all that lot started. Yeah. Isn't it? So yeah, they yeah. were looking for a new presenter. So someone oh. in the office went, You should screen test for it. Like you'd be great. And I was like, I've worked with Steve Jones and I really enjoyed every moment of it. But I was like, I don't look like Steve Jones. So, but anyway, I went and did the, this like casting and they were like, you're really funny, but you're not looking at the camera, you're looking at us. And I was like, oh, is that a problem? <laughs> but I'd never done anything no, performer-wise. So I didn't know, but they were like, you should think about doing stand-up. And my response was, you should think about doing stand-up. I'm not doing stand-up. <laughs> so they're cracking up that I'm having a tantrum over them thinking me doing stand-up. And then, um, and then I kind of sat on it for a bit, percolated on it. And then I was in a meeting and I was saying to Matthew Wright, I was like, oh, I've moved here to be a presenter, really. I wanted to be a presenter. I wanted to get discovered outside M&S like Rachel Stevens. <laughs> like, Did she get discovered outside M&S? That's what she said on a YouTube interview I watched. <laughs> I, let's say allegedly to cover all our beehives. Yeah, sure. And then I got my job as the production <laughs> secretary and the right stuff, which meant Saturday and Sundays definitely off. So then I was like, okay. So I just was like researching like stand-up comedy, da-da-da. And then I found this, it was like a writing course, like at City Academy on a Saturday morning. So I signed up for that. And at the end of it, did a gig. That went well. And then I slowly started. I was not one of those people, like some comedians, like I've got to do 100 in my first year. I wasn't like that. I did about 10 in my first year. Yeah, yeah. And that, then that's how it started. Wow. And so when did you think, well, this could be a thing? Not for ages. I really did it, um, I would say my first two years, I really did it as a hobby. So I wasn't emailing people for gigs. If someone saw me and was like, oh, would you like to do my gig? I'd be like, yeah, mm. and I'd put it in my diary then and there. So for the first two years, I kind of like plodded around. That was that's 2011, 2012. And I was really enjoying my job in production because I was like, right, I love being on set. I love yeah. the razzle-dazzle. And what I like about production is going when you're, once you finish filming, there is a bit more quiet a time when everyone's in the edit and you're doing paperwork and stuff like that. So yeah, I was like, yeah. so I felt like I had a good balance of insane busyness and that. But then what happened was um, I worked on a couple of like hidden camera shows. And so they started casting new comedians. So I saw my friends getting invited for castings, but they wouldn't see me because I was working on the show. Right. And then I was like, wait a minute wait a minute here comes that tenacity <laughs> and I was like I don't like this I don't like it and anyway and like you say always be nice to everyone you meet and, da, da, da. and then what happened was the my friend was working on loose women the warm-up guy dropped out and like was sick and she was like you're not in ITV towers are you and I was like I absolutely am and she's like don't fancy doing warm-up on your lunch break do you and I was like do I get paid? She was like, yeah. She told me the fee. And I was like, yeah. what? I have to work all week to get that. Um, so I came down and did it. And then because of the fee, I wouldn't even say because of the artistic integrity, because of the fee, I was like, I need to get my shit together. And yeah, I need to right. be a comedian. Like, so then that's when I was like, that's when the hunger kicked in for me. And I was like, I don't want it to be a hobby. I want it to be a job. So then that's when I was like, I gigged every night. It didn't matter how tired I was. Gig, 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 gig. And then... Um, and presumably you were enjoying it, right? Yeah, I loved it. Um, yeah. But I think I enjoyed it because I didn't take it seriously in the beginning. I was like, it's like a hobby. Yeah, yeah. 
um it was like when I did like taekwondo it was just like a hobby on the side yeah, um yeah yeah but I quite liked the people that did it so I'd have a drink or a slice of pizza and judge it <laughs> and then it got to a point where in 2016 tv's and nation's sweetheart Catherine Ryan asked me if I wanted to open for her on I think it was her first tour it might have been her second wow. tour yeah uh, like um like 300 seat room venues and I was like really thrilled by that because we'd met once like in 2012 and she I think she might have just done an episode of Eight Out of Ten Cats but right. she wasn't who we know and love now yeah yeah and she was headlining the gig and I was like the five minute middle spot but we just got on, had a great chat, but I couldn't believe it. And I've not really seen her since, maybe once or twice, but then she invited me. And then, so when that happened, I was like, oh, okay, so this is regular work. Oh. So then I was able to go to my boss and go, is there any way I could go part-time? They said yes. So I worked three days a week still in TV because I was scared. Yeah. And then I was on tour with Catherine. And then luckily just being with such a, up and coming legend opened doors for me yeah. and then that led to getting a couple of tv opportunities and then yeah slowly and the build build build, yeah, build, yeah. build 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 and so when did you eventually jump off the production wagon when were you brave enough to do that because i know that's that was always a big thing for me like oh god you know it's all clashing a bit now it's getting a bit hair i'm scared i'm trying to organize everything yeah when did you when did you take the plunge so i think i actually went part-time maybe in 2015 and then i took the plunge in 2016 yeah and how was that because i know i was terrified when i did it. i mean i only did it a few years ago so oh did you yeah. well i made sure i had savings so i made sure i was in a position where i could do a year yeah yes that was exactly the same and also Catherine's tour at that point was a couple of months so I was like well if it doesn't work you can go back I can go back because I've not been away yeah for a lot like now it'd be a goddamn nightmare to try and get back in yeah but at that time I was like oh I've not been away that long where yeah. it'd be strange and do you, do you do you feel like I know I had a sense of this obviously you know when I was on the comedy circuit sketch comedy circuit just before you probably came around actually and we had to kind of drop off because we just couldn't sustain it we were trying to do our normal jobs and gig and and you don't really get paid for sketch comedy there's not really much money in gigging as a sketch comedian well there certainly wasn't back then but I always had a sense had I not uh been working class or been in a better financial situation in my life that my career might have happened a bit earlier. Like things are happening for me now, but I'm 40. Well, I'm 42 yeah. actually. Keep rounding it down. Um, <laughs> but 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 I do think, oh, fucking hell, like, you know, when I tell people, oh, yeah, I only got my first telly job when I was 32, people are like, what? I'm like, yeah, because it's, it's, the reality is when you are working class and you can't just drop everything, like, you know, like everything, I didn't, we didn't have time to write. We were writing on the fucking bus on the way down there. Well, I bet you couldn't go to auditions because of your job. Well, no, sometimes you go, well, like, I can't. I just can't get out of work. So if I leave work now, they will fire me. And sorry, I have to pay my rent. So that's what is. Yeah, I think that is the problem, actually, because it's like, because they, they try and say it's inclusive. We make it accessible to all, you know, the different ways they try and word it to make themselves feel better. But unless you're doing an audition, because um, don't forget, only after the pandemic did self-tapes really become a proper right. thing. Yeah, Beforehand, absolutely you had to go to the room that tended to be in London. And it was very rare that you were offered to self-tape. 
And when you're then, in a normal job like you were at Sainsbury's or whatever, they don't get it. When you're asking for another day off, yeah. two weeks later or three, they go, no, sorry, Laura. And you nor should off, they get day it. Off week. No. Yeah. Like, they shouldn't have to. It's like that's their business. But my thing was going, if you wanted to make this accessible, you should be casting people up until 8 p.m. at night because people could Agreed. come. But they, it was always like, we could do anywhere between nine to five. And it's like, good for you. But then yeah. this is why it was a lot. You always get a lot of Southerners putting on bad Northern accents. <laughs> yeah, right. But also, I think there's a whole thing. I don't know what it was like TV-wise, but theatre-wise, for sure, there was a huge distaste till very recently, I think the pandemic, honestly, of people, even what this means, admitting they had a job. Yeah. Like, you're supposed to just be available to theatre should it call and want you. And the <laughs> idea that if you were serious, you wouldn't have a... You know, and it was really met with a huge amount of disdain. If somebody said they can't actually come in tomorrow at noon because they've got a shift at yeah. work. People go like... Yeah, you don't want it enough. Yeah, agents would say, if they were serious, you know, they would might find a way to get there. And you're like, yeah, I don't know. It's just such a huge... There's so many obstacles, isn't there? I went to America a few years ago and I was like, I'm just going to email a few people, like, see what happens. And it was like, I had meetings with, like, the head of Viacom over there and stuff like that just because I emailed them. And over here, it'd be like, oh, Stephen looks very desperate. He's emailing directly. And over mm-hmm. there, they were like, this is great. Do you know when you move in here? Nothing. Yeah, like, yeah. And it's like, oh. You're allowed to be like that out there. Yeah. Not, not, not here, you're not. Well, they encourage it a bit more. And it's even things like, you know, like when you look at people's like manage, like people work with producers, work with the same producer on everything over there. Like they take their producers everywhere and it's like a little gang. And over here, it's like that. I think that's why I feel like, oh, is it always back to square one? Yeah, right. I mean, obviously, like, your tenacity has led you a long way and you've had, like, a huge amount of success. Do you, and so your life is probably... Would you say your life is really different to the lot, how it was when you were growing up? Um, Not really. I mean, I tell you, I have more money, which is so nice because I can spoil my nephew. Like, I'm always like, he will not be not spoiled. I want to raise a brat. Yep. And <laughs> that is my prerogative. Um, But... I wouldn't say it's completely different. Like, I'm scared of having no money, so I live a very simple life. But what I will say is, like I say, all my friends that I genuinely enjoy social time with are the friends I've always had. Like, I am between Manchester and London, which is a privilege, um, but I've earned the money now where I can do that. So it's like, when I I have time off, I'm going home because that's where I want to be with them all. Um, But then at the same time, you know, last year I was at the Attitude Awards. I got to meet Cheryl Cole, hello i was dying and i really feel like i have a good handle on it what i'm not good about is and i feel i do feel lucky but i also am aware i've worked hard for it but sometimes i wish it's like i just wish britain could be a bit nicer with the way we do this industry Mm. a bit more supportive tenacity resilience drive a dirty words. Ambition in this country is a dirty word. Yeah, mm-hmm. agree. And I think that's wrong. Yeah. And I think that comes And that's to like pass. you said, it's the, na- yeah, and it's the narrative we're being fed all the time to keep right. us in our place. And that's what happens when you're under Tory rule for so, so long, because they just do not respect the arts and they never will. Me and Hannah talk about what makes you work in class. Like I look at someone like Adele, right? 
and she's a fucking millionaire, leads a very different life, lives out in LA, I would still look at her and go, well, there's a working class girl done good. Do you think class is where your roots are, where you, what you feel connected to? Or do you think it's what you've got in front of you? It's tricky because I always have a tricky thing being this because like, I would say maybe on paper now, I'm middle class. Yeah. But the yeah, way so. your brain's wired and everything's happened, I still feel working class. And the point sometimes I make with it is going, if it all stopped, money goes down mm. and then I would be at zero. There's like, still no one to get me out of it. Mm. Yes. So I think that's what keeps you working class. Yeah, right. Um, having said that, I've got to a really good place with everything now where I feel like I love what I do, I am have what I do, and I will always fight for what I do. But if the nonsense gets too much nonsense, like, yes, I don't want to change the world. Like, I can't go up against all these TV producers and the arts industry and the theatre producers and the directors and the casting directors. I can change it all because there's too many of us. So they'll just go, fuck you, Stephen, with this a load yeah. of gays we can get or whatever. Yeah. But I'm not scared of quitting, moving back to Manchester That's and getting a proper job. That's incredibly powerful though, isn't it? I think that from everything you said, I thought one of your main powers is... The reason we started doing this podcast is because Laura had read this thing, and this is quote in some revolting magazine, saying that being working class is something you want to escape from. And and it like really pissed us off. And it was literally the reason we started the podcast. But I think what's so interesting from everything you've said today, you, there's nothing you want to escape from. Like you actually even enjoyed your job at Sainsbury's. You had good Loved mates. It. it wasn't hideous. It wasn't so if it all goes to shit, then that wouldn't be a hideous place to go back to and I think that's like a real source of power in a way yeah I well I always want to go home and I don't understand people mm. that oh, don't right. obviously Me people too. have different upbringings that might not have been very kind but it's like yeah I had a great upbringing great family like I say my friends are still my friends I still go into Sainsbury's to this day and go and have Christmas lunch with the ones that are still there like I love that and love so that. it's like I like to go home so I don't know Same. why you wouldn't and actually over the pandemic my local theatre reached out because it's the last theatre in the area and as with all these local theatres they they give all the funding to the big theatres yeah the yeah. big city centre theatres and these local ones, ones because yeah. you're assuming people can afford to travel into Manchester city centre from Hyde you're assuming yeah. people then can afford that class and someone reached out to me from my local theatre, the Hyde Festival Theatre, and asked if I would consider coming on board as the president just to use the bit of profile you have yeah. to drive people that way. And I did. And during the pandemic, you know, I put on a Zoom charity gig. So I went to the theatre on my own, called in a few favours about borrowing cameras, and I did a gig on Zoom, but from the theatre, to pay for the theatre in that time, like, I've done some of the celebrity quiz shows to raise money for the theatre because here's the issue, and this is what I always say to people, to get into the arts, if you want to be an actor, dancer, whatever, you do have to go to these bonkers schools in the South. Yeah. Like, you just do, where it's, like, really excessively priced, and I don't know how to change that. No. But what I can do is go, I've got a few contacts that I can drag to shows, and so then if they watch the shows, they might go... 
oh, they're good. Let me put them in touch with this casting director or this. Or, oh, I know an agent that they might be perfect for. Or da, 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 da. But at the same time, the other thing I think about community theatre and local theatre is, one, these beautiful buildings that should not be turned into flats. Their history. But mm. also, that's where you go to decide if you love it and it is worth yeah. the investment. If you go and go, oh, I hate acting, it's not for me, or I don't like dancing or whatever, then yeah. you've probably wasted a tenner over all your life on going. Yeah. But you could mm. go, fall in love with it and go, I want to take it to that next level, so I know I'm going to have to invest and have the pain. And so I took over doing that, and that thing is going... I want to keep feeding it back. And I don't think a lot of people do that. I think a, a lot of people do forget where they've come from. And also, I think it's that thing of going, in the beginning, you're always fighting for yourself. And I think it's very easy to forget about everyone else because you're just going, yeah. I need to pay my rent. I need to do this. I need to do that. Yeah. I want to be famous. I want to be that. And and the thing I keep thinking about lately is going, one day, all any of us are going to be is a Wikipedia page. Yeah, yeah. If we're lucky, like that's it. <laughs> if you're lucky, we'll be dead. It will be dead. Yeah. Do you need to be dead with a million pound in the bank? I don't know if no. you do. Um, no. And that's why I think sometimes the industry could be nicer. Listen, um, we're coming to the end of your chat, unfortunately, because like I said, we could go on all night, couldn't we? Um, we'd just like to finish up the show. Uh, obviously, we've been celebrating you today. Um, we like to finish up the show asking our guests if there's anyone they would like to sing, uh, celebrate an unsung hero of theirs. Who would that be for you? Oh, yeah. Do you know who I think I would choose is my sister. And I'll tell you for why. Because she lives now on the house, uh, on the road that we grew up on. Right. She works at the hairdressers around the corner. And she is so happy. And that is why I pick my sisters, because it's like that saying, she's happy with her lot. Mm. And I admire that because I think I've had a bit of that. I'm a dreamer. I'm going to get out of this. Da, 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 da. And it's like my sister is just so happy She's grateful for what she's got. She's happy we got, and she's just making her way through this life. And she has, you know, she has a few holidays a year. She goes out with yeah. her mates. She's got a gorgeous baby, lovely husband. We all see each other. And I think there's a lot to be said for just being happy. Like, because what constitutes success? That is successful yeah. right there. Being fucking happy, happy with your lot. Because that to me is being, having a successful life is just being fucking happy. Yeah. And it's like, and you get to experience things and she travels and, you know, she has to save a bit harder. But, mm. you know, they go on holiday and they have a nice time and, and she's happy and she's content. And I don't think anyone, don't matter how much money you have, I don't think you could pay for that. No. Absolutely. And and what's her name? Jessica. So, Stephen, we are celebrating Jessica, your sister, as well as you today. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on. Honestly, it could have gone on me. and on and on. I know. I really would as well. I mean, you set me off on the classism in this industry. Oh, I'd be here. We... Maybe we'll have to come back and carry it on oh, the next series or something. I could do a movie <laughs> on it, honestly. Do it. I know. Feel you. <laughs> do it yeah do it oh, thank you so much it's been such a pleasure thank thanks for thank taking the time thanks for having me oh Han how much fun was that do you know what that was like a night out I know <laughs> yes, I really so want a night out with Stephen now how do I get that how do I get him to be my best friend <laughs> mm, let's just go and sit outside his flat I know let's not do that 
Do you know what's so lovely? I think the reason it feels like a night out is just, you know, listen, you're my bestest mate and we, we talk a lot. Like our friends are so important to us and, and, and I can't imagine like ever getting to a part of my life where I would sort of outgrow my friendships and it's just so lovely to see someone doing as well as he is and just being so rooted to his like, you know, gang of friends back home. Yeah, and his I, gang I of know, girls. I just yeah, really resonate yeah. with that Yeah, so strongly. It's lovely. I know. And it was so like refreshing to hear him talk about his coming out well lack of like not lack of but he didn't feel the need to come out that his his that, that he just never felt that need and I just find that so refreshing because it's it just shows you how how much support he had at home and what was more interesting that he hadn't really experienced any homophobia until he got to bloody London I mean Christ I you don't often hear the story that way round no not at all not at all it's often the other way round but he's so, a few myths there. It's amazing. Yeah, he's so brilliant. And, um, yeah, and I, I sort of um, encourage anyone that ever gets a chance to go and see him live to do it because he's an absolute scream. Um, I went down a right old rabbit hole and went on YouTube and I'm definitely going to get some tickets. You and me, actually, that's how he could be his best friend. I'll get us some tickets. I'll drop him a line. Stephen, remember us. And maybe... And then there'll be a court case. So... <laughs> Oh, that's it for this week. Um, but you can join us next week with a brand new guest. And remember, as always, guys, keep it classy. The Proper Class Podcast is produced by Michelle Farscott for Rangaby Productions, edited by James Torrance, with music by Tommy Music. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. Spread the word. Tell your friends, neighbours, whoever will listen. We've also got an Instagram page. Ooh, get us. And you can follow all the news and goss at The Proper Class Podcast. And if you haven't nodded off yet, we've also gone and got ourselves an official email. So do get in touch. The email is properclasspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, folks. And remember, keep it classy. <laughs>